0: a company of our scale and size with a disciplined go-to-market organization where we are focused on the right ideal customer profile, focused in the right geographies, and really where the entire go-to-market organization and the product organizations are aligned around the customer tend to become profitable much easier as compared to companies who don't, are not disciplined and aren't aligned across to market or product.
1: You're listening to Leaders in Payments and Fintech, a podcast brought to you by Edgar Dunn & Company, the global payments and fintech consulting firm. Coming to you from the city of London, I'm your host, Martin Kodrish. And in this series, I'm meeting with leaders and practitioners across the industry to find out what it takes to bridge the gap between strategy and execution. My central question is, How can we commercialize and bring the benefits of ever deeper new technology to market in what continues to be a highly regulated industry? So do join me and please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. And do feel free to make contact and say hello. I welcome any questions, ideas or suggestions. Send me an email or reach out to me on LinkedIn and I look forward to hearing from you. So today, I'm super excited to be speaking with Ravi Kumarazawami, who is president of worldwide field operations at Riskified. Ravi has global responsibility for all global sales, marketing, and channel teams at Riskified. As many of you fintech insiders no doubt know, Riskified is a phenomenal fintech success story. Founded 10 years ago, it has successfully commercialized deep AI and ML technology that helps e-commerce merchants combat and stop fraud. The company IPO'd on NASDAQ in the summer of 2021 and recently announced full year 2022 revenues of $261 million. Quite impressive. We discussed Riskified's growth story, Ravi's go-to-market approach and personal leadership style, plus much more besides. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ravi Kumuwaraswabi from Riskified. Okay, Ravi. Great to have you on the show today. How are you? Great, Martin. Thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. Perfect. So I have ten questions here. Let's see how far I get with those questions. But before we we dive into those um, ten questions on risky fire, perhaps we can start off with a bit about your background, and uh, you know a bit about yourself.
0: Okay. My name is Ravi Kumaraswamy. I was born and raised in New Delhi, in India. I'm a chartered accountant and cost accountant by training, trained to be actually a CFO. I joined uh, Accenture in India when they were starting their Delhi office. I spent 11 years with them doing various type of management consulting assignments across industries, and then later moved to a company called Free Markets in sales and account management, and that company later got acquired by Ariba. I stayed on with the uh, with Ariba as part of the acquisition. And uh, with Ariba, I grew, you know, running India to moving to Singapore, running Asia Pack, and then eventually moved to the US and and started to run worldwide sales. We sold uh, after the acquisition of Ariba by SAP. I stayed on with Ariba. And so I saw. Ariba scale its, uh, its revenues from sort of ninety million all the way to seven hundred seven fifty million before I left. I got I got recruited by a, a startup in Silicon Valley called Lithium Technologies uh, in two thousand and fourteen. So that's when I moved from Atlanta to the Bay Area. You know, helped scale. That company doubled its revenues. And then eventually that company got sold to Vista Private Equity. And then I joined another software company, Crown Peak, as the, their CEOs helped scale that company, double its revenues and make it profitable. And then uh, I moved to Riskified last year in, in, the, month of, uh, in the month of May.
1: Fantastic. So big jump into the the world of fintech and payments in general so yeah let's let's talk about riskify which is such an amazing success story which i'd love to hear in your own words what the success, about the the growth story um, but perhaps before we do that can you just explain what riskify actually does
0: riskify is in the business of helping e-commerce companies scale their revenues and and prevent credit card fraud, and uh, reduce customer abuse. So if if one looks at a large e-commerce merchant, let's say has $10 billion of e-commerce revenues, in e-commerce, unlike physical merchants who get to verify the card, e-commerce merchants have to rely that their their consumers are putting in their credit card information and not stolen credit card information because they end up becoming liable in case somebody uses a stolen card to buy goods on their website and because when the end consumer looks at their credit card statement they find that they don't recognize a the charge they can automatically file a chargeback where the merchant has to return the money to the end consumer and the merchant has recorded the sale. They, they've had fulfilled the, the commitment, shipped the goods, or provided the service to somebody. And the actual consumer says, this is a stolen credit card. My credit card got stolen. I don't recognize this charge. You automatically reverse the sale. You have to return back the money and you delivered the goods. So it's a big, big loss for them. And most traditional companies would have old technology which would rate the risk of a transaction that that they would, they'd apply this technology when somebody is using their credit card to buy materials on their site. This technology typically would say, oh, this is a risky transaction. This is not a risky transaction and all risky transactions then typically go to a manual review team which in these, these the scale of these companies could be 300 to 400 people and so one the custom, uh, these manual review teams typically because you know fraud typically tends to be about 1% that's about 100 million dollars for these type of companies which are 10 billion dollars in e-commerce revenue there's 300, 400 people looking at these risky transactions or these transactions which are being classified as risky. And they they take a judgment call on whether to approve that transaction or decline that transaction. So even though fraud's really only 1% or less than 1%, but because they're tasked to reduce fraud, a lot of these companies end up only approving about ninety percent or ninety two percent of the the orders that basically get you know sent to them when we what we do is we are using AI and machine learning to evaluate whether these transactions are risky or not and why is why are we better because we ingest uh, not only a lot of the the data that merchants are providing, but we also have a whole lot of information, third-party data that we have, which is how old was this email? What is typically the uh, the address that is on the credit card? Is this a valid address? Is it you know is it the address that is linked to the credit card, etc.? There's a whole lot of information that is checked by the our software in real time and we provide a decision to the merchant saying approve or or decline. As a result, fraud comes down from what used to be 1% down to sort of less than 10.1%. Okay, so there's a nearly a 90% reduction in the actual fraud that customers uh, end up seeing. And we are able to approve ninety nine percent or ninety nine point five percent of the transactions that we we are reviewing, but because our system is far more accurate. We have far more confidence that we we looked at multiple pieces of data before giving that decision. So as a result, what consumers and, uh, the the companies end up seeing a significant increase in revenues. So. You know, in this example, of a $10 billion customer, they could see up to, you know, 9% increase in their revenues and sort of a, a 90%, up to a 90% reduction in, in fraud. Okay. And they can redeploy the 300, 400 people to more value-added tasks where you don't need the manual review. Great.
1: And, and do I understand that there is a, you offer a kind of a, a chargeback
0: guarantee? Is is that the case? Absolutely. So what we are so confident about our technology that we, for the merchants who are doing transactions with us, because we are giving them a decision, we stand behind our decision. Which means that going forward, any of any transaction that we've approved, if it results in a fraud, a chargeback, or if it turns out to be a fraudulent transactions the merchant can record that as a sale, and we are the ones who go reimburse the end consumer. So what our customers end up seeing is a significant increase in revenues because we are proving more, and we are on the hook if our decisions are incorrect.
1: Right, perfect. Well, that's a great overview of the Riskify, the solution. So in terms of your role, I mean, you you came on board last year, I believe, beginning of last year, right? Yeah. So, yeah. what is the scope of your role, and 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 you know, what were you hired to kind of, uh, what was the objective of the hire? What's I a, run
0: the go-to-market organization, right? From I'm responsible for sales, business development, and marketing. So all the customer acquisition functions are friskified. And the sales, the salespeople are also responsible for upselling the customers, you know, with new products. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I'd love to dig into
1: that in a bit more detail, but but maybe we can just step back and just re- think about the, the 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 journey of Riskified. I mean, I, obviously, um, this is an amazing startup uh, startup uh, uh, story, like I mentioned, and it successfully IPO'd in, in the summer of 21, I believe. So. I mean, obviously, you've recently only just joined, but perhaps you can just provide us an overview of, of that, that story. How did it all start? And-
0: yeah, absolutely, is It's one of the most exciting uh, stories. If you look at, I live in the Silicon Valley every day, thousands and thousands of companies are born, and very few of them even sort of reach $1 million in revenue. And of those few companies that reach a $1 million in revenue very few of them get to see $10 million in revenue and you know, let alone hundred million. And if you look at the number of companies that actually reach a stage where they can they can IPO, is it's literally that minuscule in number of companies. What is awesome about Riskified is this is our 10th year anniversary, and in 10 years, we've grown. From what was zero revenues ten years ago, you know, since the and we will end end uh, 2022 with uh, between 255 and 260 million dollars in revenue. I'm giving you a range because we're a public company and we yet to announce earnings. Of course,
1: it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Incredible. So, in terms of the, the the you know the combination of sales, marketing, partnerships, and the go to market organization you mentioned, hey, what is your like approach to to running that that organization? How close aligned are those activities?
0: Absolutely. I think that the you know as a go to market leader, the first thing is you need to figure out. What is your ideal customer profile? You know, once you've, you've got a strong value proposition, you then first of all look at in each one of the geographies that you, you plan to operate in, what is the customers, the ideal customers that you should be targeting? Is it, is it very large e commerce companies, is medium sized companies, or you're, or you're trying to target all companies irrespective of size? Companies that do not identify what is sort of the ideal customer profile tend to sort of waste resources. So the first thing that we do is we scan the market and say here's here's the five thousand companies that we want to go and target across the globe. Where are they? So many of them are in North America, so many of them are in Europe, within Europe here are these are this is where these are the countries. They operate in similarly in Asia and Latin America. Then you say you've got a limited amount of resources, so which are the countries that you're going to prioritize? Okay, so we we are we, we prioritize North America, we prioritize the UK, Germany, France, and the Nordic countries, and then similarly in Asia, we basically picked that we want to be in Australia, China, and, and, and Japan. Okay. Uh, once you've targeted here's the countries that you you want to target, then depending on the number amount of prospects that are there in that country, you decide how many sales do you want, how many business development people you'll need to go target those. And similarly, you decide the same thing on the marketing front, saying that you look at in order to target these these specific. Merchants in these countries. What are the events that those those merchants typically go to? Like for example, we are in the we are focused on e-commerce and specifically retail. So we look at okay, you know NRF is a show when where these people are. Merchant MRC Merchant Ricks Council is where these people hang around. Money twenty twenty a lot of the payments and fraud people come and attend. So. We, sit, we we look at what are the events that these the target personas in these customers or prospects they go to. We target those events. We look at who are the personas in these companies that we want to target. Based on that, we are deciding how much of money to we allocate to LinkedIn advertising, to LinkedIn campaigns. We look at how many campaigns are you going to run, how much... Uh, you know, what are the keywords that they search for? And then so we look at, you know, do Google Analytics to really look at what are the most frequently searched terms? What we should, And then we look at buying those search terms. So ultimately, all these things starts with what is the ideal customer profile? Which countries are they in? Okay, and then you plan sales, BD, and marketing efforts, whether it's physical activity or digital activity, all around the ideal customer profile.
1: So I'm personally very curious about like that bridging that gap from planning to to execution. And uh, to what extent, you know, a company like yours, or in your experience, you know, you you kind of do some market testing and, and experimentation. To what extent does that play a role? I mean, you've mentioned a number of sales channels like, shows versus online advertising, et cetera. Did you, to what extent do you experiment with those channels see what's working? And I uh, presume that sort of varies from market to market from time to time, or, or how do you work through those options?
0: So, so what we do is we, we do quarterly business reviews uh, and then we do the annual review by department. So when you're reviewing the business development function, all the BDs in, the, in various regions, list out here's here's the targets that i was going after here's where i've had success here's where i haven't had success and then you look that's what is called a sales qualified opportunity they 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 have a prospect risk that they ultimately narrow down and say this is an opportunity it's qualified now sales you can get engaged in this account because this merchant is now in a sales cycle and is interested in a solution like riskskified. So when you are reviewing the business development function, you also ask them saying that what for reaching this stage, where did this this particular opportunity come from? Did they come from a show that you attended? Did they actually come from a LinkedIn ad? Did they you know land on a website through a Google search? Which event? If you if they came from an event, which event did they come from? Is it was it a riskified hosted event, or did they come from MRC, or did they? And once you re, when you reviewing all this, you get an idea saying what is working, what channels are working? Is it digital that's working? Is it physical events that's working? Is it LinkedIn ads that are working? How are you? Which of these is really generating the maximum amount of inbound leads?
1: So what is inbound leads, and then it becomes a sales qualified lead, and then the sales process, the sales cycle begins at that stage. Right.
0: Once the the, the somebody expressed interest either in a physical show that we are hosting or we've gone to or you know has has come in through a LinkedIn ad or Google through a Google search, BD engages with them, talks about what our company does, and we've got multiple products. We we ask, we do diagnostic to find out, do they have a chargeback problem? Do they have within a chargeback problem? Is it the quantum of chargeback? What is their approval date, rate? What percentage of the orders are they approving? What is the size of the manual review team? Do they have a customer abuse problem, which is, or do they have an account takeover problem? So, a whole lot of business diagnostic happens. And once we've asked all those questions, looked at their data, and proved to them that, yes, it, this is a problem that's worth solving, that's when we hand the opportunity over to sales, where sales starts to do more detailed analysis, engages with far more stakeholders. To convince them that this is this is the magnitude of the problem that they're trying to solve, okay, and then also starts to convince them that we are the best equipped to solve that problem, and that and we help them build that business case to buy buy our solution.
1: Yeah. In terms of working with partners and partner channels. I- as opposed to, I mean, we've sort of spoken a bit more about the internal sales team, direct sales, I might call it. To what extent do you work with partners, or how important is the partner sell, uh, channel as a, as a sales channel for you?
0: A couple of years ago, we, LISCAFI, realized that, you know, direct sales, you know, going, uh, having a direct sales force is important, but there are a number of opportunities where we could have speeded up the sales cycle or opened up sales cycles much faster had we had partners, relevant partners. So we built out a partners and alliances team. And so the nature of partners that we have varies by region. So you've got certain regions, supposing you're opening up a new geography, let's say we are trying to enter Latin America, you could either just go direct or you could basically say, I'm going to do a combination of direct and indirect there. So, you know, the partner team would go recruit, talk to payment providers, payment gateways and say, hey, you have a whole lot of customers that we would like to uh, ask uh you know to have as our customers and say could you introduce us to those customers or could you white label our solution and cross sell that solution to to your customers so they could become either resellers of ours or they could become co sell our product to their their customers we have relationships with uh where system integrators like Deloitte, they have a very strong retail practice uh, in in North America. So we go and showcase to them how we could be adding value to the their customers. And so you've got those type of relationships. Some people will have a very strong retail uh, practice. Some people have a very strong security and fraud prevention practice some some consulting firms uh, have very strong you know security practices and so the nature of partnerships depends on the region depends on the partner some people would want to resell the product some people just want to help us co-sell they don't want they just want to make the introduction and then stay Stay neutral. Some of them like to white label our technology and provide that as a service. So we've got different types of partners, and so what we've seen over the last two years is it's the partners and alliances deals move faster. Our sales cycles get to be faster because with the partners already have a relationship with the target customer, they have credibility and they walk in, walk us in. To the right personas. And it's, it, it, you know, one doesn't need to go establish your, your credibility, especially in regions where they've never heard about Riskified. Having a partner who can walk us in and say, hey, this is an interesting company that we have partnered with, who has these capabilities, is automatically much more easier to get meetings with the right personas in those companies.
1: So you know, it looks sounds like you already have a very sophisticated, mature go-to-market organization. What what areas are you still looking to build on or improve in other gaps that you're that in the go-to-market organization that you're still looking at improving?
0: I think that I'm very, very fortunate that I joined a company that's already you know super successful. You know, like I mentioned, there are very few companies that can grow between zero to 250 to $60 million in less than 10 years time. The partnership or motion channels and partnership motion is a new motion for Riskified. You know, over the last eight months, uh, they, we, we've recruited a lot more partners in the geographies that, that we, we go in. So that's been a big focus of, of mine. The other thing is over the last 18 months, We've made investments in Latin America, and in, in Asia, and you know getting those investments to pay off in terms of you know growth has been another big focus of ours, because prior to my joining, majority of the revenue uh, was coming from the u s and Europe.
1: Okay, so it's been a kind of geographic uh, diversification. But I mean, going back to, you know, your your experience more generally, broadly before risky fired in, in tech, I understand, right? In in application software. And you know, when you think about the average tech company at that stage, where where do you typically see the opportunities to improve on their commercial execution?
0: I would say that every every company that I have been in if they have not been disciplined in identifying what is the ideal customer profile and prioritizing which countries to prioritize which company uh, countries to go uh, enter if you don't do that exercise and deploy your resources in a disciplined manner where the opportunity is it just becomes a spray and pray exercise in those companies and that's why if you look at the number of companies that don't reach this stage that Riskify has reached where it's so successful that it IPO'd and, uh, and continues to grow, et cetera, is because of lack of discipline in the go-to-market organization. So I would say figure out what is the ideal customer profile for you because it's not that, if, uh, you know, all companies that are selling online are not potential customers for a company like Riskified. You need to realize what are the customers that can gain maximum return on investment by using a solution like yours. And you are have a better chance of winning those deals. Okay. So, it, your ideal customer profile is not only about can the customer get a huge ROI? The other, the, the second part of that equation is, is there something unique that you bring to the table to that customer which makes you win the maximum number of deals in those type of customers? That becomes the ideal customer profile. Because a lot of companies... The big mistakes that they do is they look at can what kind of value we can deliver to our customers or prospects without really seeing can that is can if that value can be delivered by ten other companies then there's nothing unique about you you will win ten percent of those deals but if supposing you are unique and you are, your Salesforce is able to explain to the prospect saying, here's the business results you can get. And by the way, here's why these superior business results, only you're the unique person or organization that can deliver that, those results. That's when you start winning, you know, 50% of the deals, 60% of the deals.
1: Interesting, yeah, and um, I mean, yeah, I think on the prep call we discussed, you know, I've I sort of just got this question by mind. You know, what does it take to win? You know, succeed? Is it the product, or is it the commercial execution? And I think you said quite rightly, it's, it's both, obviously, right? But many companies out there still, still, you know, try and push and 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 build their business based on the product, and the, and it's kind of a product led motion. To what extent do you think they can? can succeed for, for is that not like a special situation where the, that kind of approach can work
0: purely product led? Well, I, I think that it, it can, you know, but you need to be, the value proposition needs to be a sort of product led, which is the customer. And I'll give you an example of, you know, it's a very simple, if it's a very simple value proposition that the customer can, Download something or log on to a site, set up their credentials, and start using it. Trying that, they have a typically those type of companies will have a freemium model where they will force the customer to go try uh, their product free, and once the customer gets value, then they end up sort of paying paying for it. Okay, and so product led companies typically have a far more easier value proposition where the customer can use the software very easily and, and then take a decision, okay? Our value proposition, it's not that it's, it's, it's complex, but it is complex to implement. You know, it takes um, for a, a customer six to eight weeks to actually implement our solution. And so, they will need to send us their data. They will need to integrate their our technology with in on their website. They will have to, you know, integrate our us technology with a whole lot of their systems, not only their website, their checkout page, their CRM system, etc. Et and so, companies just can't sort of use, go to our website and use, use our technology, you know, they will so it kind of depend. Right? Yeah. So it depends on that. So a, a product like riskified you, a customer will need to engage with our sales and BD organization and the, and our technical teams to actually integrate our product in order to use it.
1: Okay. All right. Look here, Rabbi. Let's start wrapping up. But I mean, I have a couple of third, final questions, if that's okay. Just in terms of you know future growth for Risky Riskified or a company of your size, once they reach your scale and your you know your go-to-market organization is 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 global, you're diversifying across the world. But where do you see the next? How do you drive the next level of growth? Where do you where do you typically look?
0: See, think the, the growth model in the last ten years has come predominantly from the first value, the first product that we launched, which is the chargeback guarantee product, okay? And it has predominantly come from North America and Europe. There's going to be... The next stage of growth is going to come from two areas. Num, one, it's going to come from the ge- geographical expansion, which is our investments in a, various countries in, in uh, Asia and Latin America, right? That's one... One way of looking at where the growth is going to come from. The other is uh, we've we've launched a product that helps merchants prevent customer abuse, and I can I'll explain that product to you. So it's not about people using stolen credit cards; it's customers who are abusing your lenient policies. So if you look at you know, Amazon spoiled all of us as consumers. You know, we can order as many items as we want, and we can return it, and there's no no sort of cost of returning items. And so, a lot of people have started to abuse it. There are some individuals who are buying ten different things, but they really have, want to try it out and then ship nine things back. Okay, and. If you're trying to sell a very high margin product, then the return logistics of sending back the nine things out of 10 still might make make economic sense. But in a lot of companies, it this operating on a razor trend margin, and if, if you're returning back nine out of the 10 things that you ordered, the return logistics cost doesn't ma- matter. The other thing is a lot of people a lot of companies try and do promotions to acquire new customers. People set up multiple email accounts, pretend to be new cons- customers in order to get that promotion. The other thing is in luxury items and, you know, brands, luxury brands, uh, they make a few items like, you know, like sneaker brands would have a limited number of uh, uh, limited edition for a particular thing or you've got you know luxury brands which make handbags or stuff like that. they have they want to limit the number of items that they're selling to a particular consumer. So people what they do is they set up multiple accounts, pretend to be new customers. We are in order those items and then immediately try and put this on eBay to and sell it at a premium. So brands don't like that. they want us to prevent that then there are people who they know that you get credit the moment the shipping labels scanned at the ups or fedex store they manipulate the shipping labels they print stuff on disappearing ink and they go to the ups store they get the credit and then after half an hour ups doesn't know what to do with the packet because i you know the packet has uh, no nothing because the ink has disappeared or the item is never received by, at the factory because the, the shipping label was Photoshop, right? And so we know, given the fact that there's over $100 billion of transactions that we are dis- decisioning on, we know who are doing these, who are these bad characters. And we are able to give the decision to the, to the merchant saying, here's Here's a consumer who's trying to order this. You can prevent them from abusing you. You can stop this at checkout itself. Here's somebody who's trying to set up, a, who set up a ten new accounts, and is trying to buy, uh, pretend to be a new consumer, taking advantage of a promotion. Or this consumer typically returns nine out of ten things that they buy, and. As a merchant, then you can take that decision and take a decision whether you still want to accept that order or not. You could then, if if somebody, if we can provide you that information saying, hey, this person typically files item not received claims, and he's filed the same item not received claims with multiple merchants in ours, you can then decide whether you want to do business. With that, that particular type of consumer or not, so that's that's our that's a new product. As customers adopt that that product and get value from preventing customer abuse, we could see a big spike in our revenues. Okay,
1: great. So, final question for me: How do you balance growth with burn rate, essentially, or, or, or managing your sort of bottom line? Do you, I mean you know that that seems to be. A kind of a trade-off there. Can you achieve both? I, I, I think objectives? that
0: Martin, when when you are a very small company and you're trying to grow at all costs, you're under try. You're trying to enter new geographies. You're trying to build new products. Yes, companies are going to be unprofitable, but a company of our scale and size, with a disciplined go-to-market organization, where we are focused on the right ideal customer profile, focused in the right geographies, and really where the entire go-to-market organization and the product organizations are aligned around the customer tend to become profitable much easier as compared to companies who don't are not disciplined and aren't aligned across go-to-market or product.
1: Gotcha, perfect.
0: I don't know whether I answered your question or not. Yeah.
1: I think it does absolutely. It goes back to your comment about sort of spraying and and praying a bit, and and just trying to searching for product market fit, right? Uh, through market experimentations, which which by definition costs money, right? So that you know just increases the burn rate. So you know as you fine tune the engine and know where you have that fit and what your ideal customer is, I suppose that then leads to profitable, you know, unit yeah. economics. So got it. Yeah, perfect. Well, well, thank you very much for your time today. Ravi, it's been really interesting speaking to you. Uh, before we go, perhaps you can just share with the audience how they can contact you or I'll reach out to you.
0: My email is ravi.kumaraswami at riskify.com uh, and uh, you can catch me on LinkedIn.
1: Perfect. Well, we'll put all those details in the show notes. So, uh, perfect. Thanks again and see you next time.
0: Thanks, Martin, for having me. Really enjoyed.
1: Thanks. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's episode to hear more interviews please do subscribe on apple spotify or your podcast platform of choice it helps and means a lot also i welcome any questions ideas or suggestions so feel free to make contact and say hello reach out to me on linkedin or at dunn.com you can send me a message there or you can email me on martin.coderish at edgarddunn.com. i look forward to hearing from you and i will see you next
0: time